Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. This week we celebrate Passion Week, the most important week in all Christendom. Palm Sunday is the only day Jesus allowed people to worship Him in Mass as He entered Jerusalem. And they said, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Then on Monday, He drove out the money changers in the temple area, declaring His house to be a house of prayer. Tuesday was His busiest day of teaching the people and confounding the religious leaders. On Wednesday, Jesus allowed Mary, sister of Martha, to anoint Him for burial, when she washed his feet with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Thursday was the Last Supper, described only in a few verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And yet the Gospel of John, he spends five chapters sharing Jesus' final words to his disciples before his arrest. And he doesn't even mention communion, which he mentioned in the other three Gospels. Thursday of Holy Week is known as Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday. From the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment, reflecting Jesus' words in that Last Supper, which were, I give you a new commandment. I'm Debbie Blank, wanting to review those five chapters in John today so we can prepare our hearts for this Passion Week and, more importantly, for Jesus' important last words to his disciples that he wants us to hear. And I'm co host Jackie Sailors. Jesus had so much to accomplish on that last Thursday of his earthly life, and there wasn't much time left to do all that was needed to prepare the disciples for the shock, despair, and challenges of the hours ahead. The Apostle John tells us how Jesus spent those precious last hours with his disciples. Jesus demonstrated his love, gave them warnings and encouragement, prophesied to them, and prayed for them. Everything in the chapters we'll be delving into today is timely, relevant, and especially critical for believers in these last days, so we can know how we should live as we await His second coming. I wish we could read all of these five chapters, but we don't have enough time to do that on this show. So I'd like to encourage you, our listeners, every day this week to read through John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and ask Jesus to speak to your heart and especially as we prepare for his death on Good Friday and his burial and then his resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. We're going to begin now in John chapter 13, kind of walking through each one of the chapters. John 13 is such a great passage because here we see Jesus' heart. We see his love in action and words to his disciples. In John 13, 1, it tells us that now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, love is mentioned 20 times just in these five chapters. Think about it. These are the last words Jesus is going to give to his disciples before his death. And he focuses on love. He doesn't focus on himself. He tells them what's going to happen, but he doesn't focus on himself. He focuses on them. And the first way he shows his love is in his action, not in his words. Because in John 13, when they're ready for the Last Supper, 
Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, this was the job of a servant. A person of Jesus' statue would never do that. As a matter of fact, Peter was insulted that Jesus would do this. And he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus responded by saying, what I do to you, you do not realize now, but you shall understand later. Then Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. So good old Peter says, oh, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Because when Jesus said, this is important for me to show you my love in action and to show you that we as followers of Christ are to be servant leaders. Simon Peter understood that and said, okay, wash my whole body, Jesus. Jesus is showing his disciples the importance by his example of getting down on his knees before them. Now, if you recall, worshiping God means we prostrate ourselves before God. And yet Jesus is doing that to his disciples. What does that tell us? That God wants us to humble ourselves before other people and serve other people. That's why we talk about servant leadership, because that's exactly what Jesus was and what he did. And he's demonstrating that love that he has for them, that he wants them to have for one another. So he's showing how to do that, one of the ways to do that and the attitude to have. And then later on in 13, when we get down to verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're talking about the agape love that he's showing, that he's about to pour out his life for. And how do we do that? I mean, this is what he's asking of them. And it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not something he would like to see. He's commanding them to do that. So we have to ask ourselves, how does that apply to us? And how do we do that? And it's only through Jesus Christ where he can love others through us. If we look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see him always using word pictures, not just verbally, but in action. When he was talking about the seed falling by the wayside and the road, he was walking down the road with his disciples. They could see the weeds that he was talking about. They could see the rocky road. They could see everything that he was talking about, and they could relate it to what he was saying. That's what he's doing here. It's important for us to live out our relationship with Christ, not in words only, but in actions. Jesus did it. He gave an example for us, and we are to do it. That's why we see a lot of people on Monday, Thursday, pastors especially, washing the feet of his deacons or other other people in the congregation as an example of what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, in the movie Jesus Revolution, which is an amazing movie, when you see that, the pastor washed the feet of these hippies. Every hippie that walked into his church, he washed the feet to show his humility and his love for them. That's how Jesus starts his last supper with his disciples. Then as we move to chapter 14, Jesus talks to them. He gives them words of wisdom and encouragement and hope because they're going to need hope. He's going to be arrested in a few hours and they need to know who Jesus is, they need to have the words that he says to them in their hearts so that they can remember those after Jesus is arrested. And these words, first of all, are a promise of his return. 
their comfort of salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about the oneness he has with the Father, which means that if Jesus has the oneness with the Father, then they can have oneness with Jesus. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. Chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus tells us a lot about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And he says something very important. He says, when I go to be with the Father, I will send a helper for you. But did you catch that? He has to go to be with the Father first, and then he's going to send the helper. In John 14, 17, he says, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And we, of course, know that that happens in Acts chapter 2 at the Feast of Pentecost, not too far in the future. So Jesus spends that whole chapter talking to them. Now think about it. That's an important thing that we should do when we only have time left with our friends or our disciples, our family, before we go to be with God. We should share our uh, relationship with them and the things that we want them to remember that are most important to us before we go to be with God. Looking at verse 25, it talks about the Holy Spirit, the Helper, and what he's going to do. And it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So if we wonder how it is that the disciples remembered all of these things and were able to write all of this down, when the Helper came, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them, he reminds them of all these things. We can be sure that what we have in Scripture is accurate because it's authored by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 28, Jesus says, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Throughout the evening, he tells them things that are about to happen or things that will eventually happen. He prophesies to them. And so we know that when these things happen, they realize he is who he says he is. It's just an affirmation. It is. And because he is going to go be with the Father, and because he's going to die, he gives him peace. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What an encouragement, because when something difficult happens, the first thing that we run to is fear, fear of what's going to happen in the future, how it's going to affect me. And Jesus is saying, don't be fearful. Instead, as you said, he prophesies to them, tells them what's going to happen, gives them hope and encouragement at this time that they're probably listening to Jesus and thinking, well, you know, that sounds good, but the Holy Spirit is going to bring that to remembrance afterwards. Now, let me just give you a caveat here. The disciples will not receive the Holy Spirit indwelling in them until Pentecost, which is 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. But at the time of the Old Testament, which we are in right now as we're reading this, we're in the Old Testament until the church starts in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit would come upon people as God would allow the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And Jesus was telling them what I had read before, and that is that he abides, the Holy Spirit abides with you. That means he's coming upon you. And then Jesus said, and he will be in you. 
So the Holy Spirit was coming upon them at the time that they're going to need it to remember all the things that Jesus is saying. He's preparing them, first by his actions and then by his words. Now as we turn to chapter 15 of John, it is such a powerful passage because here Jesus is showing them the importance of being Christ's disciple, of having that discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to consider that these disciples had been with Jesus for no more than three years. Think about your relationship with Jesus the first three years of your walk with him. I was really green. I didn't know a lot. And even though I would talk to people and go to church and be in the word, I had no concept of who Jesus was to me then as I do now. So these were young believers. Yes, they were walking with Jesus, and yes, he was there and he was teaching them, but they were still pretty young believers. And so for Jesus to say all these things and to build into their lives, it meant a lot to them for him to pour into them and to let them know how important they were to Jesus. So he gives them some very important verses about abiding. In the first few verses of John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's quite a statement to make about discipleship. The importance of these disciples being one with Jesus, abiding with him, dwelling with him, staying with him all the time. And the fact is that Jesus would also stay with them. The two of them were to become one. Just like in a marriage relationship, when the two become one flesh, these disciples were to become one with Jesus spiritually. And not just at this moment, but from then on until the time they would go to be with God. They were to abide with Jesus, stay with him, remain with him. That's what a relationship with Christ looks like. And when Jesus talks about this abiding and we read the scriptures that you just pointed out, there's about nine times where the word abide is in those verses. So it's very much emphasized through repetition. That's so important. And then right following that is the commandment, again, the reiteration of the commandment for them to love one another as he has loved them. And verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends which is what Jesus is about to do. So he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. We have that coming out of the love, all of those scriptures that have to do with abiding. And then it goes into the world. And as I looked at the references to the world and what Jesus says about the world, the word hate comes up about eight times. So we have this contrast between the apostles and Jesus and abiding in his love and then how the world's going to treat them. He prepares them for how the world is going to treat them, and the word is hate. And then once Jesus talks about that, he comes back to talk about the Holy Spirit. 
He says in verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. That's how he ends the passage after he's talked about the world hating them. You see, when we love Jesus Christ, we know that the world didn't love Jesus. They killed Jesus. Of course, we know historically and biblically that Jesus gave up his own life, that the world may have taken it, but Jesus chose to give it up. But because they did that to Jesus, they will hate us also. And yet we have the encouragement that the Holy Spirit is going to help us, and he's going to help us be Christ's witnesses. And we go back even earlier in this chapter in John fifteen twelve, and we're given a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And by the way, we're told to love one another before we're told that the world's going to hate us. So we're not to just love the people who love us. We're to love the people who hate us too. Jesus precedes the hate of the world with the commandment to love the world and to love everyone in the world. That's not easy to do. And he's about to die for the world. That hates him. Mm -hmm. And if you ever wondered why we pray in Jesus' name, we can see the answer to that in John fifteen sixteen. It reads, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Is there some magic formula in Christ's name? No, the reason we pray is that Jesus is our mediator between God and us. So therefore, in order to come to the Father, we are to pray through our mediator, Jesus Christ, and in his name. So all these things are given to us in chapter 15, where he talks about discipleship relationships. Are you a true disciple of Christ? If you are, you will abide with him, which means dwelling with him all the time. And then you will follow him and follow his commandments to love one another. No matter what the world does to you, that you will still love Jesus and love the world. That's what a true disciple of Jesus is all about. As we go into chapter 16, it has more warnings for the disciples and more prophecies for them. So we have warnings about the world and we have encouragement about the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot, so let me read those passages, because that really takes up a lot of chapter 16. It begins in verse 7, and Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For when I don't go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. We always like the tangible in life. They could see Jesus, and I'm sure they wanted Jesus to stay with him rather than this helper that they didn't know who it was. But now that we know the Holy Spirit, and him residing in us, we know that he is Christ in us, really, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he says, And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he'll convict, and his purpose of convicting the world of sin is to draw people to Christ, let them know that they need a Savior. Again, it says in verse 9, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I love that. Jesus is saying words that says, it is an absolute fact it's going to happen, and the ruler of this world is no longer going to have power. 
We see that a lot in the book of Revelation, where Jesus says things that haven't quite happened yet, but he's prophesying of what's going to soon happen. He goes on to say in John 16, 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, that's the third time we've seen spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. That's part of the Godhead we don't talk a lot about. But if it wasn't for the Spirit, we wouldn't be convicted of our sins. We wouldn't be drawn to the need for a Savior. We wouldn't be drawn to a relationship with God because he draws us to God. He is the conduit that God uses and to know what sin is so that we can walk righteously with God. What a blessing that Jesus spends time preparing his disciples for that Holy Spirit who's to come. Chapter 16 is full of so many awesome things, including his prophecies. He spent a lot of time talking from chapter 16, verse 16 on, about his return. They were going to see him die, but they didn't understand his return. And they certainly didn't understand that his return is going to come many thousands of years after they had seen him die. He says to them in John 16, 20, Truly I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice and no one takes your joy away from you. How exciting that is, that Jesus was going to return again. He actually promised it also in chapter 14, a very familiar passage to us, when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 2 he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's used in a lot of funerals because it gives us hope that Jesus is coming again, and he's going to take us to be with him. He goes on in John 14, 6 to give perhaps one of the most powerful passages in the book of John when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's why Jesus tells us to pray in his name, because nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, our mediator. Then going back to chapter 16, Jesus ends it again with peace. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now Christ is going to die. And yet, he, by saying this, his death, he's saying, has overcome the world. He's overcome Satan and Satan's power over death. He will soon be resurrected to prove that he has defeated Satan at the resurrection so that Satan no longer has power over death. 
Death has no victory in this world because we have hope for eternal life in Jesus Christ. What an encouraging chapter that Jesus shared with his disciples about all these prophecies that will come to pass, just as all of his other prophecies have in the past. So as we move into John 17, this is Jesus's prayer. They call it the high priestly prayer. Um, Some do. Some say that the Lord's prayer is really the disciples prayer. And this prayer is the Lord's prayer. But it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus's in scripture. We learn a lot from what he's praying on this last evening. We see his heart here because Jesus starts out first by glorifying the Father. And then he talks to God the Father about his disciples. And he finally ends talking about other believers, you and me, who aren't his disciples, but would be believers to come. So he really is praying to God and honoring God and praying for us. We have Christ ready to go to the cross, and he's praying for us. This is the last thing he's doing. I love how it starts out in John 17, 3, when it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what life's all about, folks, is knowing God the Father and knowing God through his Son, Jesus Christ, who gave of himself to die on the cross for our sins. That's what it's all about. And as we read this passage, we see Jesus, how he cares so much about us. He says in John 17, 6, I manifest your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. What an honor for Jesus to say that about his disciples who have been arrogant and who would betray him and in their own way as Peter would. Uh, and yet he looked to the hearts of these people as people saved having a relationship with Jesus Christ rather than to the negatives. Jesus always looked at the best in us as he prayed for us, but even in life as he lived with his disciples. What a blessing for us. And he prays to share his glory with us. And that's pretty amazing when you look at the statement in verse 5 where he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There is a statement of Jesus's eternal existence, his Godhead with the Father. And going back down to verse 24 where it says, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we have this picture of of Jesus and his glory that he's had from all eternity and his relationship with the Father and then his relationship with his disciples. And he wants us to have that relationship that he tells us in John 17, 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are one in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Wow, I pray that each one of us has that desire to be one with God as Jesus prayed for us. So again, I encourage you to read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 every day this week to get a heart for Jesus, where he was and what was important to him in the days before he died. It's a great time to prepare for Easter to read these stories, to understand the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. And then ask yourself if this is the kind of relationship that you have with him.
Greatest gift you could give him on Easter Sunday is your life, your relationship with him. And I pray that you will do that if you haven't already. And if you have, that you will ask him to deepen your relationship as he and the Father are one, that you and he will be one. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.